Well, we've been in uh, Philippians. We took a little break, but we're back in there. So if you will go to Philippians chapter 2, we're going to go ahead and just, or chapter 1, we're going to jump right in. Uh, we're going to be reading Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. We read that two weeks ago, but now we're going to talk about the latter section. So will you stand with me as we prepare to uh, read Philippians chapter 1, verses 3, or 3 through 11. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for all you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask along with Paul, that you would fill us with your love. God, that you would cause your love to abound to such a degree that it would overflow into the lives of those around us. And God, we ask that, that our love for you would, would multiply, that it would become more deep, more well acquainted with who you are, so that we might be able to love with abandon even those who are sinful and broken like us. God, I pray that we would be able to love despite ourselves and despite other people. You, you know that we live in a world that is fallen and broken and sinful, and that to love often means to be in pain. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw close to us, that you would comfort and strengthen us, encourage us to be obedient to the call to love, and give us a vision of Jesus Christ who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, endured the pain so that he might express your love to us. God, I pray that for those who don't have a personal relationship with you, that they would see that there is a love that's available to them, both in the, in the scriptures and in their experience of life here at church. And God, I pray ultimately that you would help us to be a loving people, that along with what Jesus said, that we would be known by our love for one another. Help your servant as, as we look at your word. God, we pray that you would open your word to us in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. This, this is an interesting, an interesting prayer that, that Paul prays because on, on the face, it, it doesn't seem... It doesn't seem necessarily that like that much, but he really covers the life and experience of a Christian from conversion to putting their faith in God to seeing Jesus Christ at the end. And so uh, he, he covers quite a bit of territory in about three verses. And, and the main thing that, that I think Paul is trying to pray for, that he's trying to get at, and my hope that we'll see 
is that God intends for you, God intends for you in your life to glorify him as you grow in righteousness in the soil of relationship. There's a lot of words, so I'm going to say it again. God intends for you to, one, glorify him, to make him look great, to reflect his glory, but how are you to do that? You are going to do that as you grow in righteousness when your life reflects the character of Christ, and that growth happens in the soil of relationship. So those are the different components, God's glory, our growth, and and the relationships where those things are brought about. Now, when I read this, this section at first, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. And so if you ever open up your Bible and read that way, you're not alone. So I, I started reading, and, and he says, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. And that sounds good, right? I, I'm, I'm on board with, with praying for God's love to abound more, or, or our love to abound more and more. Sure. But then he goes and he says, that your love would abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Okay, I'm not sure how those two are connected. Uh, that you may approve what is excellent. I'm not sure what loving and growing in love has to do with approving what's good and right. Okay. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I can understand Paul praying that the Philippians would abound in love. That makes sense to me as a pastor. I'm going to pray that Grace Covenant Church Sterling, that we would be people who abound in love. And I can understand Paul praying that they would grow in knowledge and discernment, right? I want you to grow in in biblical knowledge. I want you to know who God is. I want you to know what the Word says. I want you to be able to discern between this being a good thing and that being a bad thing and what the best way forward is. I can understand that. But to be honest, this prayer to me would make a lot more sense if it sounded like this. And it is my prayer that you would grow in knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. It would make more sense to me if he just said, I want you guys to grow in knowledge. I want you guys to grow in discernment. I want you to grow in wisdom so then you can, you can see what's right, you can see what's wrong, and you can be pure and holy and that you can be filled with the fruit of righteousness. But that's not what Paul prays. Why? You see, it's because that, that the kind of knowing, the kind of discernment that Paul is praying for, that grows up in the soil of relationships. It's easy to follow God in a vacuum. It's easy to follow God in a vacuum. Some of you have been to, to Christian conferences and retreats and you've experienced deep moments of intimacy with God. You felt connected and, and it's been reflected in how much God word, God's word, you, you're reading it at, at your conference or your, your retreat and your time alone and it's making so much sense to you. You're saying, yes, God, why didn't I see this before? But then Monday comes and you return to the same challenges, the same struggles, and the same relationships that you had before. And, and you're, you're no longer feeling so warm and fuzzy. You're no longer feeling so connected. You're no longer feeling so wise and knowledgeable. Or if you do, you're wondering why everyone else isn't as wise and knowledgeable as you are. Maybe you've never experienced this kind of mountaintop experience. And for you, following God just is hard and it stays 
hard. You try to serve God, but you get hurt. You try to love others, but you get rejected. You try to live like Jesus only to experience the pain that Jesus felt. And that's a real experience because knowing God wants to love you and wants you to love other sinful people is is different than loving sinful people. Knowing that God wants you and me to love other sinful people is different than loving other sinful people. Jesus doesn't say, they will know you're my disciples by the fact that you can recite this verse about loving one another. No, he says, they will know you're my disciples because your confidence, I'm paraphrasing, but your confidence in the gospel, your confidence in me as your savior has resulted in you putting yourself out there and loving people who are destined to hurt you. God intends for us to grow in righteousness. He intends to shape your character in the soil of relationships. That's why he prays for love. That's why he starts and says, I want you guys to abound in love. And so we're going to look at verse 9. And he says, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. He had started in verse 4 and, and began to say, you know, guys, I thank God for you. I pray for you. And he, he, he almost gets carried away talking about just how warmly he, he thinks of them because they've, they've partnered with him. These Philippians, they had given money. They'd, they'd given supplies. They'd cared for this man. If, if he was, uh, as, as their pastor, he felt well taken care of. And so he, he begins to gush. But he comes back in verse, says, verse 9 and says, you know what? I do pray for you. And I pray that you would abound in love. He prays that they'd abound in love. But the question is, love for whom? Right? You don't just grow in love. Love is not just, you know, it's not like a, a, a cup that you pour and you, I have more love. No, love is something that we direct towards other people. So who is he talking about? To whom does he want our love to abound? For whom does he want our love to abound, to grow, to, to get bigger? There's a number, number of options. He could be talking about love for God, right? I'm praying that your love for God would abound. It would grow. He could be talking about love for him. I pray that your love for me would continue to grow. You guys have expressed love. Keep it coming. He could be talking about love for one another. I pray that your love for one another would continue to grow. He could be talking about, finally, God's love for, I pray that you would experience God's love for you more and more. Now, there, there's a lot of possibilities, but since he doesn't specify, and given that he's already talked about how, how they've been loving towards him, I don't think he's saying, I pray that your love for me would, would grow. I don't think he's saying, guys, you're doing a great job, but, but keep it coming. So we're going to take Paul off the table, at least directly. But, but I think that what he's saying is that because of their commitment to the gospel and the way that they've shown their love for God, he wants that love for God to grow in such a way that it, it extends to the people of God. I want your love to grow. It, it's like those, those champagne uh, uh, flutes that you see in fancy hotels where it, it's coming from the top and it overflows. It's like when, when the top flute 
is, is filled up. It begins to overflow. And what does it do? It fills up the other cups. And, and the, the intention of God is that when he pours out his love into your life, he lavishes you with love, you don't just become a black hole into which that love just goes, but rather your life overflows into the love for others. And so that's what he's praying for. I'm praying that your love would abound. He, he prays that it would grow abundantly. You know, we went apple picking yesterday, and it was really interesting to see uh, the trees that were abundant and the ones that weren't. It was kind of surprising, honestly. We saw several trees that, that had big trunks. And apple trees, as a side note, my, my childhood is a lie. I remember drawing apple trees as a kid, and you'd draw two, trunk, you know, two lines for the trunks, maybe a couple lines in the middle to show bark, and then you'd do the, the tree in the middle, and then nice big apples, and it was a strong tree. Real apple trees are real uh, sad looking. They're just like, like this, you know? And, and they're almost, they're just barely trees. They're almost bushes. But it was, it was interesting that, that there were some that just had an abundance of, of, of apples. And, and that is exactly what Paul is talking about, an abundance of of love, not just that there's a little bit of love in your life, but but almost that you're being weighed down so that the fruit of love is 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 kind of falling off the limbs. It's not a little bit, but it's a lot. He he doesn't say, well, I want you to abound, which is a word for abundance, but he says, I want you to abound still more and more. He's trying to make it clear that that this is an important thing that he's asking God for them to do. He's praying that God would make it possible that their love would abound. So what does that look like, practically speaking? He goes on and he says this, I pray that it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more, comma, with or in knowledge and all discernment. Now that word there for knowledge is not the word that we think of for knowledge, right? This is not the PSA, the more you know, with the the star. Uh, This is not the kind of knowledge where you read a textbook, you know some facts, and, and you have knowledge. This is, this, is, this is like marriage knowledge. This is knowledge that, that you experience after rubbing up against someone else's life. It's experiential knowledge. Right? There, there are people who know my wife, but they don't know my wife like I know my wife. Or to put it another way, there are people here who you know me, but you don't know me like my wife knows me. Which is probably a good thing for you. There's an experiential kind of knowledge that we come into when our love abounds. And, and you, can, you can kind of begin to think about that and, and relate to it. You can, you can know a person from afar and you kind of have some details about, okay, they're so, so old, they've got brown hair, they've got blue eyes or, or brown eyes, and they, they like to wear these outfits. But then when you get to know them as a person... It's not just facts. There, there's this kind of multifaceted, three-dimensional way of knowing people. And, and that only happens as, as you extend yourself in love. You know, if, if, have you ever noticed, have you ever met someone that you didn't like? Um, there's this one time when I was a kid and uh, we, had, we had swings, but not like present-day swings which are made out of like foam and happiness or whatever. It was, it was metal and it was rubber and it was hot. 
and you'd burn yourself or you'd cut yourself because that's what you did as a kid. Um, and and you, if you were older, you would take the swing and you'd throw it over the bar you know, a few times so you could get it you know, a little higher so you're not dragging on the ground when you sit down. Are you guys tracking with me? Okay, good. Some of you acting like you didn't have a childhood. Um, well, I was at my apartment complex and there was another young man there and I must have been seven, eight maybe. And this guy, I think his name was Carlos, he, he threw it over and somehow it, the little connector, the S connector, again, if you know what I'm talking about, the S connector between the, the seat and the chain ripped my skin open. And so you can still see the scar. It doesn't hurt anymore. I'm not damaged, I promise. Maybe a little emotionally. But, uh, and, and suffice it to say, that was not the good start of, of me getting to know this guy. Uh, so I went home, and I was bleeding, and I don't remember a whole lot about it. Except that afterwards, I remember that we were pretty good friends. So before, I just knew him as this guy who ripped my hand open, but later on, I got to know him as a person. But what, what had to happen was that I had to get over that initial um, obstacle of offense. Because when you, when you see people in anything except for love, it, it puts them in kind of a one-dimensional box. Right? You begin to, to say, I know everything about this person, and they stop being a person, and they start to become kind of a dossier, you know, a, a, a bag of flesh and facts. And I, and I say it that, that way because part of what Paul is arguing for is that, that we have an experiential three-dimensional love, and that can only happen when we're willing to extend, or uh, three-dimensional knowledge, that can only happen when we're willing to extend love to someone. If you, if you just assume that you know a person and you size them up and you, and you put them in this kind of box and you're unwilling to, to open yourself up to them, you really can't know them in a way. You've really limited yourself from knowing them. And it's not until you are willing to love them that, that you begin to know them differently. He prays that their knowledge, their, their love would be knowledgeable. And he goes on and he says... Um, he goes on and says he wants it to be uh, in discernment, so knowledgeable and discerning. That word for discerning really has to do with figuring out what the best path forward is. You know, sometimes it's about discerning the difference between right and wrong. In this case, I think it has to do with knowing how to love in such a way that you're loving in the best way possible. Um, it, it's the kind of love that seeks what is right for the one that we're loving. It's the difference between a parent giving a kid what they want so they'll just be quiet, you know, just, daddy, daddy, take, fine, yes, candy, I don't care. What? Scissors, go for it. I don't, just leave me alone. Right? That's not love because we're not caring for the needs of that child. Love says, okay, hey, buddy, no, you can't have candy. Please put down the scissors. Where did you even get those? Love is, is being willing to hurt someone's feelings in, in a loving way to help them experience real truth. This is, this is an important piece, I think, because we live in a world that, that wants to, to argue love is giving people what they want. And that anything that isn't that is unloving, almost hateful. But, but the Bible never sacrifices truth on the altar of love. They're never put at odds. They're always married. 
You don't want to be truthful without being loving, but you also don't want to be loving and try to be loving in a way that isn't truthful, honoring who God is and what he has made the world to be. He wants them to abound in love in a way that is knowledgeable and discerning. And in, in Romans chapter 5, we see that, uh, that this is the kind of love that he, he extends to us. In Romans chapter 5, it talks about Jesus in verse 8, it says this, but God shows us his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. God knows us truly. He knows us honestly. He doesn't, he doesn't gloss over our mess. He doesn't pretend like, we're, you know what, I, I love you and I'm so glad you're wearing cologne today. I don't really want to know how your, your life really smells. No, he says, while we were sinners, at your worst, in that moment where you're like, I hope no one can see me. That's the moment where he said, I'm going to, I love that kid. I love him. I love her. That's the kind of love that God loves us with. And, and it seeks our best. And that's the kind of love he, he's praying, Paul is praying that we would have. It's the kind of love that extends, um, that God extends to us. And so we ought to extend to others. Now, when you love this way, you grow. This is his, his expectation. We see a, a progression in Paul's prayer. He says, it's my prayer that you'd love, that your love would abound more and more, and it would abound in knowledge and all discernment. In verse 10, he says, so that, with the result that, you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Approving what is excellent is, is shorthand for for living with wisdom. When you begin to live life and you make wise choices and, and you watch other people make unwise choices, you begin to be able to discern, that's a bad choice, I'm not gonna go down that road, that's a good choice, I am gonna make, go down that road. If you've ever done budgeting, you, you, you've experienced this, approving what's excellent. Beforehand, you're like, I don't know what to do with my money, all I know is I get a paycheck and then four days later, I'm broke. And you're like, I don't know how it happened. And, and your bank knows. It has, a, it has a, a record of how it happened. It's called, I spent more than I have. But then if you get on a budget, and, and anyone who's done this knows, you begin to find out things that you, you, you I spent how much at Starbucks? There's a drink at Starbucks. It's just coffee. It's coffee with a little bit more coffee and some cream in it, and it's like $9. And I will get it probably today because it's delicious. But it's, it's uh, you got to count the cost. you got to count the cost. And I completely derailed myself. I just <laughs> thinking about, there's a, there's a way of, of living life that says, Eddie, you know, maybe $9 is not what you need to be doing for your coffee. You can get a K-cup for like 25 cents. To which I would say no. But, um, but when you begin, to, all joking aside, when you begin to make right choices and wise choices in the moment, you begin to gain this, this ability to look ahead and say, oh, that's that choice up ahead, I know which way to go. You know, my son was actually reading out of Proverbs and he was asking, there's a part in Proverbs um, where it, it says, you know, wisdom calls out in the streets and, and will you listen? But there's a point at which if you don't listen, 
then you get into a tight spot. You get into a bad scenario, a difficult situation, and that's when you start saying, wisdom, please help. And wisdom's like, no. And he was saying, what, is that, what does that mean? What is that about? And what, what Solomon's trying to get at is there's a time and there's a moment at which you can pray for wisdom. You can get wisdom. You can learn from your situation. But after you have made a mess, you can't go back and, and get the wisdom you need to unmake that mess. At that point, wisdom is just laughing at you in your face. But what Paul is saying positively is that when we allow our, our love to abound more and more in knowledge and discernment, then we begin to live in a wise way. We begin to, begin to receive wisdom, and then we can approve up ahead what's excellent, what's the right way. And we can so, because of that, be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Now, what's crazy to me is that my Christian walk has consisted of me trying to do the right thing. Has anyone else had that Christian walk? Thank you, one honest person. And that's not a bad thing, except that at many points, I, you know, if there were, if there were chains, if there were links in the chain, I, I had, you know, I want to do the right thing, I want to do the right thing, I want to have good character, I want to... Um, I want to develop a, a, a good lifestyle. At the beginning of this chain that Paul's talking about, I did not have love. And so I just wanted to be right and do right, but, but I was crippled by the reality that there's no possible way for you to learn to be right and do right if you're not doing it in the context of loving relationships. And I'm, just, I'm not talking about the relationships where everyone's, I love you, you love me, let's all hug, you know, sing kumbaya. But it's, it's those relationships where you are tested, and the question is, are you going to persevere in love, or are you going to pull back? Or those, those almost relationships where you say, are, am I going to engage and open myself up to pain and suffering and rejection, or am I going to hold life at, at an arm's distance? When we seek to honor God and serve God, but in relationships, we hold those relationships at bay, we cripple ourselves from actually ex experiencing these things, being able to discern, to approve what's excellent, and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, right? Because what, I, what did I say at the beginning? I said that um, God intends for you to glorify him as you grow in righteousness in the soil of relationship. You know, we've got some plants. We had some people over like a year ago or something like that. And so we were like, we need plants. Plants make a house homey and nice. They're now my friends. Like, they're alive. If you've followed me as a pastor, I have largely killed. I've been a plant killer, um, sometimes unintentionally, sometimes intentionally. But uh, pretty consistently I've been. But these plants, they're alive. And I let them stay in my house even though I can see their pollen, which I'm very allergic, so they should feel very grateful for their existence because I should crush them, but I don't. But it, 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 it's interesting, if, if I were to take those plants out of the soil that they're in, they would die very quickly. They, they need the soil, they need what's in the soil in order to live and grow. That's about as much as I've learned about plants, is they need water, they need soil, some kind of magic happens with the sun. You know, those are the three things. If, if that doesn't fix it, that plant's dead. But I know those things. And, and in your life and my life, you, we want growth, we want vibrancy, 
But if there isn't relationships, if there aren't relationships, and again, I'm not saying that you need to be friends with everyone on Facebook. But I'm saying that there are people in, in your life that God has put into your life. And if you're unwilling to pursue those relationships... Or, or pursue love in those relationships, that your plant, your life is not going to grow. God intends for us to glorify him as we grow in righteousness in the soil of relationships. He goes from abounding love in knowledge and discernment and abounding love that results in wisdom and character. And he, and he talks about, finally, abounding love that, that results in fill, uh, being, being fruitful Righteous fruit. It says in verse 11 that we would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That we'd be filled with, righteous, uh, with, with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. What is the fruit of righteousness? It is not an apple. Um, it is not an orange. What this means, I believe, is he's talking about the fruit that is righteousness. So there's a way of living if we've loved and we've been abounding in love and we've been living wisely and discerningly and we've been able to approve what is excellent that we begin to realize, oh, my life is producing fruit, love, joy, peace, patience. If we go to Galatians, he talks about explicitly what those, those fruits are. In there, he calls them the fruit of the Spirit. Um, He says uh, in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is the fruit of righteousness. And it's interesting that in Galatians he calls it the fruit of the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's fruit that the Holy Spirit grows in you. And here he doesn't tell them you need to produce the fruit of righteousness. What is he doing? He's praying that God would do this. He's praying that God would produce this fruit of righteousness. It's fruit that comes through Jesus Christ, and it's fruit that glorifies God. When you are willing to abound in love, when you begin to pray this prayer in your life and and allow God to do the rest, that, that abounding love is going to result in fruit. Because you're gonna bump up against people. Again, Married people, you know this, for better or worse. You, you, hopefully, as you're growing in your relationship with your spouse, in that relationship, in the soil of that relationship, your character is being formed, and, and you're becoming more patient. You know what used to annoy you no longer annoys you. Or, or you're, being, you're being shown the areas where God's righteousness needs to be brought to bear. Sometimes it's positive, sometimes it's negative, and, and God's showing you, oh man, I'm, I'm a pretty angry guy. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty selfish. This is an area where I need God's grace to be brought to bear so that I can, in this soil of relationship, I can grow up in righteousness. He prays that, they, that abounding love will result in the fruit of righteousness. Now, I, I was thinking about this because most times when I... When I prepare a sermon, I, I have two ideas in mind, like two main points that are two main ideas I want you to walk away with. I, I have the, the idea of what has God done? Like what has God accomplished that we see in this text? And then the second question is, 
how should I respond to what God has done? You know, sometimes it's, you know, God has saved us righteously through Jesus Christ, therefore let's worship him and obey, right? That, that's a lot of the Bible, is, is that statement. But here, I, I was thinking about it, what should we do? Because he's not actually calling us to do this, and, and my, my uh, caution in this moment is that you try and go and sort of manufacture some love, what, what Paul isn't doing right now is commanding, you need to love better. No, he is praying to God. He's saying, it is my prayer, which he prays, if you go to verse 4, always um, in his remembrance of them, making prayers with joy. He's praying often. What does he pray for? He prays that their love would abound. He is praying that this would happen. Why does he pray that this would happen? Because Knowing things isn't hard, but doing them is nearly impossible. And you don't raise your hands, but how many of you, you, when I started talking about difficult relationships where it's hard to love people, there was a face that came to mind. There was a name that came to mind. There was a situation that came to mind. And, and you might be asking yourself, you might have been thinking to me, you know, in response to me, that's great, Pastor Eddie, but you don't understand how they've hurt me. That's great, Pastor Eddie, but how, how? Okay, I know I'm supposed to love them, but there's nothing in the tank. There's no love in, in the tank. To which I would say a couple things. One, love is not primarily, or, or when the Bible talks about it, not initially a feeling, although affection does follow. It is a, a, a commitment of the will um, where, where affection does follow, but, but you can commit to do something. You can commit to behave in a way, even though you may not necessarily feel loving. You can, you can commit to love your children even when they are driving you crazy. You can take a deep breath, slow down, and smile, even though on the inside you're like, and that's love. That's real love. That's not like, like movie love, but it's It's real. He's praying because knowing things isn't hard, but doing them is very hard. Love requires things of us, and loving people is something that you and I, we need God's power for. But the good news is, family, that Jesus, he loves us this way. And not, not just in his divinity. This is not like he's not, well, God, God can do it because he's God. No, one of the reasons that Jesus came to earth as a human was to show us that it was possible by the power of the Spirit. He says in 1 Timothy, Paul talks about it himself, of his own experience of God's love. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14, he said, uh, I, verse, starts in verse 13, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Paul had been a, 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 an oppressor of the church, persecutor, and it says in verse 14, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me and with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul looks at his own life and he says, God has loved me. He's loved me into existence. To quote uh, Mr. Rogers, Mr. Rogers, he, would, he was a pretty neat guy. He's actually a Methodist minister. Mr. Rogers, like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, okay, you know, with the cardigan. Um, he, he was a unique guy, and, and 
one of the things he would do, he would go to these, these award ceremonies and they'd be like, you're amazing. Tell us some things. And, and many other actors would say, you know, I'm, I'm thankful. This has been a great opportunity. I'm awesome. But he would go up and he says, you know, I want you to take 10 seconds. We're going we're to be silent. I want you to think about the people who have loved you into existence. Think about the people who have loved you into existence. And, and he would reflect on that. And the good news is that when we think about, man, this is hard to abound in love. Jesus has loved us into existence. For you and me, as I quoted earlier, Romans 5.8 says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us into existence. John 3.16, one of the most famous verses, but, but I think a little misunderstood. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would have eternal life. It, it, it's not talking about how greatly God loves us, but the manner in which God has loved us. How has God loved us into existence? By sending his son, Jesus Christ. And then in Romans 8.39, it says this. It says that, verse 38, for I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us, what, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has loved you abundantly. If you're in this room and you've never experienced the love of Jesus Christ, all that the Bible says that you need to do is to turn away from your own efforts to, to live your life in autonomy you take off the hat that says captain and say, you know, I'm no longer in charge. I turn away from everything I know to be wrong, and I'm going to turn and trust you, Jesus, because you see that God is loving you into a spiritual existence. And for the rest of you who are holding back in relationship, I'm not wagging my finger at you saying, you need to love better. I'm asking you, would you look at Jesus who has loved you better? And as you open up your heart to him, and you are reminded of the way that he loves you and that love flows into your life, would you be willing to open up and, and allow that love to overflow into the lives of others? God intends for you to glorify him, glorify him by growing in righteousness within the soil of relationship. You can't avoid growth if you... You can't avoid growth by avoiding relationship. God expects us to be in relationship. But the good news is that God is willing to be in relationship with us. And so because of that, you can be in relationship with a knucklehead like me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I pray, Paul's prayer, Lord, I pray that, that you would help us, that you would cause your love to abound more and more in real three-dimensional experiential knowledge, in real discernment to be able to distinguish between what's good for a person and what's bad for a person, so that we would grow up in our character, being committed to living lives like Jesus, and ultimately that we might be pure and blameless and bring glory to your name. God, I pray that as people look at Grace Covenant Church Sterling, as they look at your servant, as they look at 
the people here in this room, that they would be able to see, man, there's something different about them. And it's not just the words that they say, but it's the way that they live in love. And God, I pray that for those who have experienced pain, it's all of us, because of relationships, Lord, would you heal those wounds and would you draw close to the wounded? Lord, your word says that you are gentle and that you, you heal the brokenhearted. So I pray that you would draw close. With, with eyes closed and heads bowed, can, if, if that's you, if you're really, this is something you, you want, but you just feel a, a block. You just feel like, man, I can't put myself out there. Would you just raise your hand? I just want to pray for you specifically. If, if there's a forgiveness that needs to be ministered, if there's a sense of, of wounding and hurt that needs to be healed, would you just raise your hand so we can pray? It's great. I see those hands. Would you just pray with me? God, I'm, I'm giving you this burden. For those of you who, who need to forgive, I, I'm, I'm praying, God, I want to forgive that person. I want to release my right to pursue vengeance. I want to release my right to be a debt collector. And I want to trust you, God, to be righteous and just. Help me to love. Lord, I commit to obeying your commands to love my neighbor. And I pray that you would give me grace and that you would protect my heart. God, I pray that you would minister your love, you'd minister freedom, and you'd help in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you, family.